Hey, Stanford, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Well, I thought you told me earlier that you were absolutely exhausted. I'm tired, I'm tired. Okay. Um, it's interesting because we were messaging each other earlier on this week and um, we were talking about um, tiredness and exhaustion and fatigue. Um, and there's quite a lot of responses when people say, you know, I feel absolutely exhausted or I feel really tired. When, when does, um, in, in your opinion, um, when does sort of fatigue or tiredness or exhaustion actually become a medical condition? That's so interesting. I find that a very, very interesting question because I was thinking about that. Looking back onto what I've researched and my clinical experience, mm. because I think it's so subjective, subjective mm. both from the patients or the clients or the person who's suffering from the tiredness point of view, but also kind of objectively. But when you look from the other person's point of view, subjective from other people's opinion, because mm. here you are one comparing your energy level to yourself either mm. before or what your expectation may be mm. and at the same time the other person is also assessing someone else's energy level to what is expected um for the patient's age demographic stages in life uh, their peers what is needed in their uh, surrounding environment work activity so it's very hard to say. It's very, very hard to say. But I think officially there is a di uh, there is a diagnosing criteria for chronic fatigue or ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis. So oh, wow. you have to, yeah, you have to have a real lowered ability to do activity for a chronic period of time. So usually it's more than six months. That's the definition. Okay. You have a difficulty or uh, to carry on doing things or great tiredness after exercise after exertion so that can be both um physical or mental activities also okay. that's usually some problem with sleep sorry for interrupting so what did you just say that just repeat that is that actually it's worsened by exertion exactly it's called right. so exertion malitis okay so this is kind of interesting because i think what we come across is we come across different types of fatigue different types of tiredness and almost in a way that some of the tiredness, some tiredness that happens actually is helped by exertion. But when you're looking at something like, you know, chronic fatigues, it's actually, you know, it's worsened by exertion. So exercise isn't actually a cure. It isn't the direction to go in. And I also like the way that actually it's, it's, it's something that's occurred for over six months. Hmm. Exactly. So something long lasting. Right. I guess in some way it also depends on the level of exercise as well, because actually in some medical bodies, the treatments or recommended regime to help with the condition is actually a graded exercise regime, which means you gently, slowly reintroducing the exercise to increase the tolerance. Right. So it really depends. But there's a, there's a, oh, sorry. Um, so there, there seems to be a, a, some conflict with this as well, because I think some schools of thought um, and, and some uh, it, there's a difference because some schools of thought think that uh, medical schools of thought think graded exercise actually works and prescribes it. And others actually say, no, it doesn't work at all. So there actually is a conflict between the advice given within the medical establishment, because I think that what we're actually seeing is that no one really knows very much about why this happens, do they? No, there's a lot of theories, there are loads of thoughts, there's loads of almost research into the area, but that's not 
huge amount of consensus so far. Mm. I'll be interested, what is yoga's perspective or Ayurveda's perspective on tiredness, fatigue, depletion, exhaustion? Mm. Um, it, it's got it's got a name actually. Um, it's called Balakshaya. Um, it, it means that you're you're, and I was explaining this to someone recently who came to me with um, long term chronic fatigue. Um, and again, it, it's interesting because she kind of fitted the sort of the profile, and she came in her late sixties, and it occurs she's had it for the last forty years. And I, I think that there's a number of profiling that you find within this isn't there and it tends to be appears sort of mid sort of early to mid adults so around 33 years old is the sort of the average age isn't it yeah mid 20s to mid 40s right so it kind of appears at that time and we don't know why it appears and and also there's there's numbers of research say it could be you know a virus it could be this it could be exposure to that you know the key thing is that no one knows but what no one knows and that means no one knows within the medical establishment is also true within the yoga as well so i think this becomes key because actually when you're looking at the direction that you're taking for this it means you need to be careful that we're no, not out for false promises like false promises means that you know this is a direction that medical establishment you know don't want you to know about you know that this will help with chronic fatigue or help with this type of thing i think we need to be very careful around this area um very very careful around this area so when, when i'm looking at this and looking at it from a, a a yoga perspective um again what yoga perspective says is that you know it says that it's it's aggravated vata dosha so if there's a really deep aggravation of the energy system within the body. So there's a misfunctioning of the energy in, this, in the body. Now, it, the way that we take things into the body is that we take it in, like, you know, through our mouths, and it goes in to become liquids in our body. And then from those liquids, it goes into our blood, and from our blood into our muscles, and from our muscles into the fats, and then from the fats into the bone, and from the bone into the bone marrow, and from the bone marrow into the deepest part of the system called ojas so there's an essence of the system within yoga and ayurveda and this provides the power the strength and the energy for the whole body so almost it's fed from the top down but it provides a strength from the bottom up and what happens is that according to yoga and ayurveda this the ojas is very depleted so if i give an example with regard to let's say cancer and so in cancer you go you know radio radiotherapy treatment or chemotherapy treatment what happens is that there's a, a sort of a depletion of the tissues within the body so the body starts to become thinner the muscles change the fats in the body change the, the nerves change and the, the body becomes quite weak do you see what I mean so there's a kind of like a lack of strength that happens in the body however after treatment over time the strength comes back do you see what I mean because the body nourishes itself and it was come back again in something like balakshaya it's balakshaya means that your your strength has been stolen so someone has actually stolen it feels like someone has stolen your strength when i was explaining to this lady she said that's exactly how it feels it feels like my strength has been stolen mm. and it in a way there's something that's disrupted the natural flow of nourishing the system and nourishing the energies within the system that goes through the system according to yoga and ayurveda and there's lots of different variables with regard to this and that i hope we can discuss because i think there's some interesting areas 
Um, for this one patient that I was working with, we were able to identify it and look at the incidents and the coping mechanisms that she could put in place in her life because of incidents that occurred early on in her life. Mm. And she said, actually, I think, you know, here we've got a situation where it's not a virus. There isn't uh, something that's happened, but actually they were subject to extreme trauma in life. And this sort of disrupted things. I don't know, what, what, does, what, what do you think with regard to, you know, trauma and the way that trauma can create, maybe almost stop the system from nourishing itself and take the strength from the system? So in my research, I think there are a few causes that's quite commonly associated with a chronic state of tiredness. So mm. things like infection, Lyme disease, monoleukis, well, like monos, fire dysfunction, alcohol, substance abuse, diabetes, depression, sleep disorder, or an autoimmune disease like MS, multiple sclerosis, and certain cancer can be associated with it. Okay, so if we can go back over that list, because it's a very interesting list. So actually what you've got is you've got, like you just mentioned, things like um, things like Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is actually quite difficult to diagnose. You know, you've got a, a bite from a tick. It, it What happens is that if you get to see it, it creates, there's a red circle that occurs around it. And there seems to be markers that are present within the blood based on Lyme disease. And there are tests that you can do for it. But, mm. and, and also, if you catch it quickly enough, you can do something about it. But otherwise, yes, Lyme disease, it, you know, it does cause an issue within the system. Yes. But some of the other illness or disorder that's on that list actually can be linked to trauma. So to yeah. answer your question, that was the interesting bit, which is right. trauma itself is not actually on the list. But as we know, because there's a study called Adverse Childhood Events, which we're quite familiar with. We, I think we've gone through that mm. um, research study result quite a few times ourselves, right. where it's actually related to um, anything, any adverse childhood events actually can increase the risk of adulthood, alcohol issues, diabetes, smoking, like adverse life events, so on and so forth. So actually a lot of these, there's a link deeper towards childhood uh, trauma, maybe. Okay, because you, the, I, I was speaking with a, a client earlier on this week, the very beginning of this week, and um, she she was exhausted, you know, really, really, really tired. So she went to have some medical tests done and they discovered she was anemic. And she thought, okay, fine. So they, they, this is, so she got the strongest dose of iron possible and she started taking it. And she said, she took it for three months, went back for more tests. And she said that nothing had changed within her system. So she said, well, What's going wrong? Because actually what's happening is my markers haven't changed. Nothing's actually changed. I've still got this. I'm taking the strongest amount of um, iron supplement possible. What's happening? You know, I'm still exhausted. I'm still tired. And so we started talking more about the process of actually coming to absorb or assimilate things and whether we can assimilate things or not assimilate things. And then how the assimilation that we have within our body is mirrored with the assimilation we have with other situations and other things that are happening and how you know what genuinely is assimilation and assimilation is the capacity to take something from the outside of the body which the mouth through to the anus is still the outside of the body and bring it into the body 
And so you can take the best supplements in the world, but they aren't, don't form part of the body yet. So something's got to happen. There's got to be some sort of exchange that's not working for this stuff to come into the body. I find what you're suggesting really, really interesting and really fascinating because you're coming from the angle of almost like nourishment and nutrition, how you mm. absorb, how you actually make these external factors, parts of your internal components and internal resources that you can then generate energy. Because mm. I think a lot more of the Western science and research actually gone down the route of how the energy is being produced. So kind of look towards the angles of like things like mitochondria, which is the small mm. components of cells which is kind of like the energy powerhouse from the cells using oxygen to create energy from food source. You also start looking at a lot of things like um, ATP production, which kind of is a scientific term to describe basically what energy is and yes. the market that's associated a high or low energy production uh, or are we using a lot of oxygen to actually resp uh, respire, to actually create energy or are we respiring in an anaerobic um state which is actually less efficient so i find it very interesting maybe with the western science angle can also think about what is being put in because you would use these substrates that you describe into mm. the respiration to create the energy mm. and, and, I, and i like the link because mitochondria i mean there are exceptional things within a body aren't they and, mm. and the atp process is an unbelievable process as well so i i, I think there was a there's actually i mean if you get a chance to listen to um there's there's a, a melvin bragg um thing on radio four in our time on mitochondria so interesting really really interesting um it, 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 there's there's also a link with um depression isn't there mm. so we find that almost in a way there's a lot of fatigue that occurs with depressive states and as someone working in psychiatry um you know that we've got a depressive state we've got um which you know there are many reasons for that depressive state but also there's 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 some kind of there's sort of a heaviness there's a sort of a a fatigue that occurs with that but that's a very different fatigue from the chronic fatigue isn't it hmm. i think the interesting thing with depression is in order to diagnose depression clinically so by a doctor we usually need a few of the what we call the core symptoms like kind of big symptoms so the obvious one would be loading mood the mm. other one would be a lower enjoyment in life so you usually enjoy reading a book and you no longer enjoy reading it or you enjoy less of it it's what we call anhedonia but the one of the the third uh core symptoms is actually called low energy mm. so it's actually a really really common presentation in depression because as you said that's almost the energy itself have been stolen i think that's a expression i've heard quite a lot but mm. i did want to ask earlier on so if the energy or the essence has been stolen who or what or how was it stolen okay so we, we've we discussed earlier on this idea of vata vata dosha so this idea that actually it, it manages the functions of, of most of the things within the body but it works alongside something called agni and agni for me is it's it's a metabolic thing that happens so it moves metabolic means that it's 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 it takes a substance from one area and moves it transforms it and moves it into another area and so there is a, an agony that happens at all the levels of the tissues of the body so i think it's quite similar to the concept of atp so there's a movement between all of these different tissues that's happening and what they're saying here um, with an ayurveda is there's a disruption of agony at 
particular levels. And that level can be at the level of the liquids, at the level of the tissues, at the level of the blood, um, at the level of the fats. It can be at the level of the bone, or it can be at a much deeper level, um, the, the nerve, the marrow, or actually at the deepest level, the OJAS level. So it, it's it's kind of saying that there's an issue with regard to this process. So for me, this kind of matches quite a bit with um, the thinking around mitochondria and ATP. So it's just sometimes when there's a disruption, this metabolic or digestion process, it can cause tiredness. Because I give, I will give myself an example. Today, I my lunch hour has been quite abnormally delayed just because of that certain piece of work that I have to do earlier on. I mm. feel really, really tired despite the fact that I had a really good lunch afterward for continually for two, three hours afterward. I feel really, really tired and drained. Mm. And I almost feel like, as you keep saying and telling us, actually, if we don't nourish ourselves in the proper way, then we won't be able to metabolize it properly. And then the tiredness will have to be, I need more time to get out of the tiredness and the hunger almost. But I think I come back to your question. What is it that's happened? What is it that, you know, we, we've got a profile that happens roughly mid-adult age, mm. often female, more than male. What is it that happens within people, within their lives? What what occurs within this? Because, it, you know, it's a biological illness. It's not a psychological disorder, but yet we're getting psychological effects. You've got, you know, cognitive dysfunction. You, you know, the mind is changing. There's an impairment of, you know, the way that people operate in daily life. There's a almost as a loss of productivity. And the other thing that I find absolutely crazy is that most people are undiagnosed so we actually really don't know how many people per head of population there are that have this do you see me we can't say x percentage of people have it because we a lot of it is undiagnosed but and as we're talking about this now in various different ways about tiredness and the links to everything else we just don't know i think it's very difficult to be diagnosed because that's not really a test you can do to mm. confirm or you know, exclude the condition per se. There's not a blood test or cuff or measurement or scan that can really measure the ATP level. And there's not a normal range of energy or slash ATP level mm. in the general population that you can measure it against. And I think that's the real difficulty. So that's why I think a lot of the time people who suffer from the presentation actually almost felt quite misunderstood by the medical professional sometimes even, or people who are around them. Because mm. also it's, it's very hard to see. It's not like some of the other syndromes or infection where you there's physical signs. Tiredness is very, as you said, although it's a physical experience, it's actually also very psychological, emotional. Mm. So actually for people around someone who suffer from it, it's actually very hard to tell sometimes. And, and also there's a real difference between what's you know described as chronic fatigue syndrome and ME. You know, there's a real difference between those two things. And actually, those people with chronic fatigue syndrome will actually say they do not have ME. Mm -hmm. you know, actually say these things because actually ME is a, a very different diagnosis. Um, and, and that's what I also find interesting because there's a kind of confusion between those things. Um, and there's, there's also uh, there's another um, 
idea that some people actually want to call it systemic exertion intolerance disease. So actually, you know, if, if there is a, an exertion that's being performed, you know, the system can't actually do it. So there's an intolerance of all that stuff. Mm. Um, so I, I think that what we're also grasping is that not only don't we know, but actually it's very difficult to describe because we can't categorize it in a very, very clean way. But the experience is one of extreme tiredness. And I think that's the, for me, that's the kind of like the, the thing that binds everything together is that actually the, the, there is this extreme tiredness that's going on. So maybe, yeah. maybe crazy suggestions for theory is actually there's quite a few different processes happening at the same time that ended up with quite similar experience by people who suffer from it which is why there's one, a lot of confusion in how to diagnose them, mm. but also sometimes quite confusion in, in this presentation because it almost sounds they're quite similar, but actually, in fact, the underlying process is quite different for, yeah. in, from individual to individual. Correct. Because if you think about a lot of the causes that are presented, I mean, I've, 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 I've had one gentleman I worked with for years who he, he had you know, chronic fatigue, you know, he couldn't do anything. He, he, he was, he was sweating, you know, he, any kind of exertion, he was exhausted. Um, but they were problems, you know, problems relating to his immune system. It's, it, it, he had every check done, you know, he was, he was trying to find out whether there was a virus involved, whether there was thyroid dysfunction, what was going on with his hormones, you know, had he been subject to an infection, you know, what, what, what was happening with his immune system, but what was being presented was that actually there was a huge amount of mental and physical stress he was actually under mm. massive amounts and almost that the body itself was was actually presenting an extreme fight or flight condition so it's almost that the sympathetic nervous system was just constantly on which meant that any exertion that he did anything that he did exertion wise it would almost exacerbate it and his body would just collapse mm. And I think that may be very much related to your question about the common age of presentation as well, because somewhere between the mid 20 to mid 40, or as you said, on average, is around the age of 33. Mm. That's usually culturally and psychologically with that's described to be the stage when we become an adult, because you slowly leave school, you slowly leave family, you achieve more and more independence, you're establishing yourself in the society. At the same time, you may start going into your own relationship, rather it's romantic, maybe it's your friendship, maybe it's your colleagues establishing your own community. You have to learn how to be independent, but at the same time, also interdependent. And you may it may also be the stage we start forming a family as well. So there's actually a lot of changes and transition from one community to another community where there's a lot of creations and I almost use the word fighting involved because almost you have to fight to find your place in, in the world and in the community, in the society. Mm. So I do wonder, is there an expectation where, especially nowadays, we have to succeed in some way, we have to be established by a certain stage, that expectation that we form family and have children perhaps, or a certain status in, this, in the society at the same time, which means we expect her to actually have energies to carry out all these quite tiresome responsibility and work. Mm. I mean, it, 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 that's a huge amount of pressure. 
And I wonder if, if, because we've got a very archaic nervous system, haven't we? I mean, our minds are are incredibly fast. Our body seems to be able to be dragged along by our minds on a regular basis. And almost in a way, the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves, whether that's external pressure or internal pressure, can almost sort of fuse the system. You know, it's, you know, it's looked like we used to have, do you remember um, the old bandwidth problems we used to have on the internet? Yeah. Whereas just kind of you do the dial-up modem and then suddenly at six o'clock, very, everyone came in from work and dialed up and you just couldn't get a thing. Yeah. It was almost uh, like just too many things logging on at the same time. I was going to say, you used to dial and you actually can't use the phone because you took all the bandwidth from the phone to the internet. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, you know, in, in a way, we've got these very archaic systems. You know, they are, they are hugely efficient in one way they're adaptable in one way but we do need a lot of space we need a lot of we, we need to we actually need to sort of create a lot of space for them to run efficiently and effectively mm. so i wonder i just wonder because the way that we eat the way that we interact with ourselves interact with other people the amount of movement and traveling that we do the amount of expectation like you just mentioned that we put on ourselves mm. the amount of stress that we put into the system I, i'm i'm also going to jump back to what you said about trauma you know because I, i've seen quite a number of people recently that have had exceptionally traumatic situations and a byproduct of it has been fatigue massive fatigue and you know, I think I think to to put a, a finger on something and say yes, it's always trauma. It's this, it's this, it's this. But my question is, how do we come out of this? How do we recover from this? Because when we're looking at causes, I mean, there are so many different things within causes. But um, the you know, there's so many possible factors. There's so many you know you know with infections, the, the immune system. You've got blood cells. You've got you know this whole kind of thing that's going on. You've got psychosocial factors. Um, that contribute but what can we do about it because treatment wise there are medications aren't there no and I think also is what are we doing to it that may actually make it worse sometimes because I think your question about trauma is very interesting it got me thinking about caffeine because mm. caffeine as you know is is a stimulant in the western mm. science and western medicine definition how it works is basically when ever since we start waking up in the morning, our body slowly builds up something called adenosine. And the more we build that chemical up, the more tired we will be. And then actually we got to a state where our body and mind need to crash and we need to sleep to kind of give the body and mind a chance to clear all the chemicals so that we can feel refreshing coming out in the morning. Mm. And caffeine is amazing because it stimulates us by actually blocking the effects of adenosine so we're still building on them because we are awake we are exposed to lights we're thinking we're working and we're exercising whatever it may be but actually we're just not feeling the effect of it which means later on once the effects of the coffee the um the caffeine uh, has worn off we have to almost like pay the debt a little bit we have to actually then go rest properly afterward to make sure that we help our body to clear all these tiredness or the chemical that signal tiredness and i think in mm. some way do we actually do something quite similar with a lot of other things, a lot of these causes where we use things to 
mask it or use things so that we don't quite connect to the tightness and the fatigue straight away and deal with it. And later and later on, until we got to a stage that we have to deal with it. Because I'll give you an example. I was I was hearing about a case study recently. So a really bright young person gone into university for three-year course very quickly realized actually the course is quite demanding and not that they are not capable but it's just quite demanding and understandably stressful in the first year i think they'd start developing as symptoms of vertical so there's a bad imbalance inside the inner ear or the senses itself that cause a lot of almost like the room spinning or dizziness later on gone into headaches so there's a lot of pressure inside the head eventually by the third year i think there's a lot of tightness in the system that's almost got diagnosed to the stage of chronic fatigue. Mm. And then when I hear about that, I was wondering, would there have been a mechanism of preventing it? If we have caught it earlier on in the thinking, actually you're under a lot of pressure, instead of keep pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, either we need to find a way to delay things slightly or actually help you to deal with the pressure effectively so it doesn't get, get built up so much and burns out in the other, on the other side. Mm. Because it's actually, it, it, there's, there's an excessiveness that's going on. And the excessiveness almost, I mean, this, this matches with what Ayurveda is also saying about it as well, is, is there's an excessiveness. And, but they give excessiveness in numbers of different ways. Um, they give e excessiveness, like you mentioned with coffee, masking it, an excessiveness in consumption of unwholesome food. They say, un, you know, ununctuous unwholesome food they say they say actually the food itself it's like you know some people after they have lunch suddenly they 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 become really exhausted it's like actually that food wasn't wholesome but imagine that's occurring all the time mm. that kind of feeling of tiredness is occurring all the time for you now but that's just one cause which is to do with food another cause to do with what you're talking about with regard to the excessive stress that we put the system under almost that we fry the nervous system with the amount that we actually put into it also that's an excess hmm. and, and i think that are we actually saying that in a way there's an unrealistic expectation on us with regard to what we're capable of doing energy wise in our lives nowadays Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that too simple answer? <laughs> yeah. But there's, they also give, I love it. There's also this thing in, in Arabic text. They also say that this kind of like this, this condition is caused by the suppression, natural suppression. Sorry, the suppression of natural urges. Hmm. Suppression of natural urges. So what this means is, you know, um, they used to say it's, it's really rude to yawn or, or pass wind or to, you know do certain things it's it's, it's it, we have these urges that we need to do and these urges are releases that happen from the body but we don't allow that to happen because we put a rule in place to stop it from happening so to cough to sneeze to we, we suppress these things in this way and an urge is an urge in many many different forms you know, to eat something is an urge. We, we stop ourselves from doing this. They also say that fasting, believe it or not, fasting can actually also cause this as well because you're not allowing the body to have what it needs to have. And I find that interesting now we've got so many people doing so many different fasts mm -hmm. um, and it seems to be working very well for a number of people, but it, they give it as a cause. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think I mostly support that as well because I think looking at a lot of the different diets or fasting regime, a lot of the time there's a generally lower amount of carbon hydrate mm. because obviously a lot of the time we think too much carbon hydrate means too much sugar and that actually increases the calorie in the diet and that's not good. My personal view is actually carbon hydrate is quite important because it is the most common and most easily accessible energy source in our food so mm. things like rice and pasta and bread and potato an over amount of them is not a good idea but at the same time we i believe personally we need certain amounts adequate amount inside diet so we can actually start the system off in some way there's some mm. energy resources to burn to actually create the initial spark so that can actually keep digesting properly and actually work properly so yeah, I, I would usually personally suggest anyone who are doing any diet to at least maintain some amounts of good carbohydrates. So obviously things like sweets and sugar and chocolate, I think those are the amounts that we can usually take off a little bit or quite a lot of them. But things like carbohydrate complex ones like brown rice or even white rice and things like that, I would say at least keep small amounts of it just to keep the system balanced in some way. Because mm. sugar is fatiguing as well, isn't it? Mm. very fatiguing and people don't realize because actually they get a stimulation from it but actually it does create a long a crash yeah, a crash and a deeper fatigue within it um so within this you know we've got these these causes and and i'm glad you agree about fasting um they give trauma or injuries as well um and also infections i mean so these are these are other areas that they say are, are the causes of this but there's we all know what the signs and symptoms are, you know, it, it, in Ayurveda, they, they give it as aching of the body, weakness, sleeplessness, confusion, dizziness, and loss of appetite. So they sort of say that those are the sort of the, the signs and symptoms. But I know within Western medical setting, there's, there's a set of procedures and criteria um, that are given, isn't there? So they, they, they take, a, take a history, don't they? Yeah. So we always take a history. We do examination and there's some mm -hmm. bedside investigation like blood test testing the urine or monitoring the heart yeah. or the scan to exclude the common and also big important disease like diabetes or depression and uh, multiple sclerosis and things like that yeah. i think i think what you talked about how sometimes it can be almost a quite confusing how the presentation is there's also these additional symptoms that you can have because that we named free in the beginning there's lower ability to do activities more more than six months there's a post-exertion myelitis there's a sleep issues but as you mentioned already sometimes it can affect the thinking and the cognitive function so it's described to be brain fog mm. it can be very difficult for the person to hold their posture rather it's sitting or standing mm. chronic pain you men mentioned sometimes even the lymph nodes start getting quite tender or you get a sore throat or you get really irritable bowel, mm. chills, nice wet, allergy, shortness of breath, irregular heartbeats. Mm. I'm quite glad that you brought up the vata dosha because that's one of the constitution that sometimes people can be associated with or can understand more easily how some of these symptoms can be explained. But I do wonder, is there, is there any other almost state or nature that actually chronic fatigue is describing yoga Ayurveda as well? What what we describe it as, and and what we see it as, is they they say that the 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 tissues lack strength. So they say dhatu kriya, 
or they say ojas kshaya so they say that these things so they, they they point it to different areas in this way so they describe it like this and because they do that they actually point the treatment in that area towards looking after the tissues towards looking after the acne within the tissues as well um so they start to move towards looking at particularly understanding that we need to take some herbs to actually manage this to get the system working again because they don't know what's causing it but also that it's so difficult to treat also in yoga and ayurveda it's very difficult to treat but also what i find very interesting is that gentle movement seems to help it and this this i think is quite interesting is that it's not any extreme movements we're not talking about an ashtanga vinyasa practice or we're not talking about lots of standing positions we're talking about lots of very gentle movement actually comes to help it and particularly breathing helps it a lot mm. so we've got gentle movement we've got breathing now why this becomes interesting for me is that what's happening is that when we start to look at the function of things like like breath breath is food for the energy in our system according to yoga and ayurveda so they say that that's what you're doing when you're consciously breathing you're actually feeding the energy in your system so it's not extreme breathing which actually creates some sort of tension within the nervous system okay. it's actually working with breath that fits with the nervous system the person i was talking to you about who's had um fatigue for 40 years we were doing just gentle breathing focusing on the exhale but also focusing on the top part of the chest which is the nourishing part of the system and yeah. we were just focusing on this area we were doing very small retentions at the end of the breath in with very very gentle movement and then slow exhalation and she said it was so freeing so she felt so much better afterwards mm. but this type of thing is a good direction because what we're doing is we're actually looking at the function of how the energies in the body are actually working so we start to remove the labels to one side and we're starting to kind of go okay how are the energies in the body working what is it that person needs that person actually they're depleted of nourishment they need nourishing practices we cannot push the system we have to very very gently work with that and it's why yoga is so good because if it's done in a conscious way which is very gentle movement what i mean by that is lying positions things like to be pedipitam just gentle movement up and down actually done on the exhalations fantastic okay gentle movement in this way this type of thing with breathing really 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 helps hmm. because you're targeting a particular area of the body you're working with the breathing you're working with gentle movement now this is one direction there's a there's another direction that they also look at with regard to herbs um and there's one do you know um have you heard of one called tripola yeah it's a tripola um and again i'm i'm before anyone goes out and and please get advice with regard to this so you know i'm not sort of prescribing any of this i'm, I'm saying that you need to investigate this rather than say hey do this so please investigate this so one's called tripola um, and what it does is it helps to regulate the excess pitta in the body as well as eliminating toxins so we find that sometimes you know starting a regular dose of chapala it can sort of help with regard to the digestive system with regard to the agni within the system mm. um, and they also look at turmeric 
as well. Um, and again, please investigate this. So turmeric root, so it helps to prevent bouts of tiredness. Mm. And then they also suggest ashwagandha. Have you heard of ashwagandha? Yeah. And it helps to calm and strengthen the nervous system. So there's, there starts to be some sort of suggestions with regard to herbs, with regard to gentle practice um, that are suggested within yoga and Ayurveda. Because what they're doing is they, they, they are removing more and more the labels, but understanding the sort of how the body's functioning and sort of saying, how can we restart this functioning? Because it's so difficult to do when it's an extreme fatigue state. Interesting, because I, I think my, I, that was very, very good explanation, but I was thinking at the whole time you're talking, especially about the gentle movement, mm. is also related to the concept of tamas in yoga as well, because mm. to my understanding, tamas sometimes being described as a state that's quite dark and quite heavy and quite still, mm. Mm. and almost in some way it, it matches it in my understanding, like almost that chronic fatigue very tired depleted and almost a little bit depressed state mm. where actually a little bit of a movement would help to kind of move the person out of that area because we also find that people who suffer from chronic fatigue or me more resting more sleeping often is not the solution they need something to actually slowly move them out of that state but yeah. Am I thinking along the right line, wrong line, or completely? Yeah, tamas is something that we experience, so it becomes a mental experience. So the, the state would be tamasic, and the best thing for a tamasic state is is again just beginning to move it. So if you think about a depressive state, a depressive state um, which isn't a fatigue state, we'd have a depressive state, but we would use something like a handstand, which is very kind of almost in a way it creates a, a strong movement or a force to actually get this change. But here in chronic fatigue, I think you're completely correct, is that we are creating just a gentle movement in the right way. But we're also suggesting with regard to food is to make sure that there, there is adequate nutrient intake to reach and maintain a reasonable body weight, because quite often people don't do this type of thing. Mm. And also, the other thing that's suggested is is a, a a diet that is is warm, is 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 moist, is sweet, is sour and salty, so that there there becomes much more strength that comes back into the system. Hmm. So that fits with the brown rice idea, which is sweet. Do you see what I mean? It's got that sort of sweet, nourishing aspect to it. Um, and also in in Ayurveda, they 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 give something also kind of interesting. They they ask you to say to take some ghee, okay, which is clarified butter. Hmm. Um, it, it it builds some strength, and they ask you to remain hydrated. Make sure you drink plenty of water, and they say avoid spicy foods and sour foods. So avoid these type of things. Um, there's also another. Um, secret with regard to this is they, they you know almonds mm -hmm. put a couple of almonds in a dish overnight in water and just get them to soak in water and then in the morning peel them and then eat them and it helps to strengthen the immune system bring strength back into the system um so it, the, the, you know they they give they, they've kind of researched this with regard to strength and they sort of say this is the sort of the areas that you need to be looking at. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that the advice is, is, is not 
for everyone, it's there for you to investigate the different directions to be taken rather than say, this is the direction everyone should take. It's actually, no, these are the ideas that are created. Research them a little bit more because it could help you. Um, one of the other things that's suggested is reduce stress. It means take pressure off yourself. The amount of people that put a huge amount of pressures on themselves, I mean, to be perfect, to be correct, to get everything right first time, not to experiment with things and get things wrong and learn from things. But actually, you know what? We need to reduce stress. Hmm. And, and, and reducing stress means looking at all the factors that actually trigger this. Because I think there's just so many of these factors that and a lot of people create a lot of stress for themselves. Absolutely. And that's very, very tiring, especially constantly trying to do well, do good and be perfect all the time. It's huge amounts of work. Mm. And the other thing I, I quite like is that is to look at developing a plan. And a, and a plan which actually is a daily plan where you get a rhythm of a day where you don't overexert yourself physically or emotionally with stress. And so the lady that I was mentioning is she, I'll only see her in the afternoon after she's had a nap. Hmm. Okay, so she gets up in the morning. She loves gardening, goes out into the garden, does some gardening stuff, doesn't do anything heavy, but does this. Okay, then she does some work. Okay. Has lunch. Then has a siesta. Mm hmm and then does something else afterwards so what she's designed is she's actually done and designed a routine to stop herself from overexerting. almost you know it's that advice you you know you give people when they're recovering from cancer is yeah. that you know they're going through and you're just saying well there's got to be a different rhythm that you're putting in place you've got to you've got to change what you're actually coming to do so that what's happening is that you, you avoid overexertion. do one thing a day you know mm. just Rather than have, you know, three people a day, is there someone for, for breakfast, someone for lunch, someone for dinner? Actually, just do one thing a day. Mm. Start to create that rhythm that builds up that resilience that's needed again. And that kind of afternoon nap becomes quite important. And then there's a battle that we have with regard to afternoon naps, isn't there? Yeah. Well, most, most of the time, I think the battle will be with our boss. <laughs> Which is happening. We all moved to Spain. Mm. Um, I was fun. Well, I was wondering as well. Is there a particular type of people or group of people who are more prone to have chronic fatigue or more likely to develop this depletion and tiredness and exertion? Because I'm thinking of it slightly from the Chinese medicine angle, where you, you explain from the Ayurvedic angle, it's about the nourishment from from one layer to another, all the way down to the Ojas level. The Western science almost look at it as a respiratory angle where mitochondria is used to produce energy, ATP. In Chinese medicine angle, interestingly, I, I read quite a bit of it. I'm not a practitioner, but I read quite a bit of it. There's amounts of energy and resources that we're born with that is sometimes been described to be stored around the kidneys areas, the chi that is there. And then we also take in the energy from food, which is the chi from the food's resources. And there's a chi that we're taking from air that we breathe in. So mm. actually it's the combination of all three. Mm. But it almost sounds like if the person either don't breathe properly, don't eat food properly, can be more affected if they're born with less chi that's stored in the kidney in the first place, because we're all born with different amounts. 
is there a similar theory in Ayurveda and yoga or well uh, I, I'd like to say yes but I, I haven't found one yet um what I, what I do know is that there's everything has a a functions there's a moving function with regard to this life force that you have and that life force everyone has a a similar life force and the life force is an expression of the consciousness within you according to yoga and so we all have this consciousness within us we have this life force which is an expression of it however each of our containers is different so it because of the constitution of the container it could be that there could be faults within the container and those faults could be faults that are passed on they could be faults that are occur because of um overuse excessive use or underuse so that you know there could be faults within it but it has a every every container has a similar functioning so it's got the capacity to take something in and to move something through it and to move something out of it but its construct is slightly different. Yeah, I think I would agree from the Western science point of view as well, because actually chronic fatigue is a relatively common mm. presentation. It's like about 0.2-0.4% of populations. So I think I, I would probably stick with my hypothesis of a theory where it's actually a collection of different causes that all lead to more or less similar presentation in the end. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a group under another theory is more prone to develop this tiredness and exhaustion. But actually, a lot of things in life that we encounter can slowly build up towards it. And mm. maybe there's a threshold somewhere in us that actually, mm. once we reach that stage, we finally recognize there's actually a lot of tiredness and fatigue that we have to then deal with and actually kind of move out from. I, I, I would I would agree with that statement quite fully, actually um and also it, it it then puts in it, it then validates the approach taken which is to create a structure within the day to help so it means having a structure which we go to bed and get up at a particular time avoid you know caffeine like you mentioned alcohol nicotine drugs anything that creates these spikes in these different directions and maintaining activity at a good level so making sure that what's happening is you 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 don't do too much you don't do too little um and if actually what happens is that you feel good and you push a little bit more then there'll be a knock-on effect with that yeah. um we tend to use in yoga and ayurveda we tend to use a lot of oil huge amount of oil on the body just to help the body so lots of oil application on the abdomen the head the feet and what i mean by oil is, is almond oil sesame oil these sort of oils really really helpful helps to restore energy as do massages if you can find someone to massage you um so for me gentle movement in with yoga positions pranayama so breathing hugely important to begin a, to develop a breathing practice that doesn't aggravate the nervous system and meditative techniques with regard to a focus that is calming, pacifying, but also stable within us to help with fatigue. 
I was just thinking that just to clarify, I think the oil, sesame oil that you mentioned is not the type that we can cook with. It's actually the cold press one, the one that doesn't give you the strong sesame seeds smell. Is that right? Yeah, unless you want to end up smelling like a uh... <laughs> Chinese food. <laughs> exactly. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I love it. I love it when you smell yeah. Chinese food. It might be quite slightly strange going to bed with it, though, <laughs> with that smell yeah. <laughs> on the table. Absolutely. But remember, people will still love you, you know, whether you smell like a, a, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a roasted sesame oil or not. I hope so. What I'm hearing is actually a lot of the approaches that you recommended is very similar to the ones that we recommend in the in medical practice as well, the Western medical practice as well, is actually build a lot of consistency. So avoiding these big spikes, because sometimes when there is an expectation that you want more energy and you end up having the energy because you kind of treat yourself and manage yourself well, the first thing that we wanted to do is to challenge yourself and want to push a little bit further and go to that, I don't know, high kickboxing class or whatever it may be, and then end up feeling very depleted afterward, which is a core symptoms of ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. So I think I will really, really agree and probably echo the message that having a lot of consistency is probably one of the key both in or in diet in sleep in lifestyle choices in work in leisure I mean, everything that will be very very important and, and and also with regard to stress and pressures that are put on you mm. I, I think that is yeah i think that's really important um what what's your what's the kind of so for me i, I really like the the Coming out today, I really like the sort of the conclusion. It's a conclusion that I'm drawn to as well a lot with regard to the variable causes and huge numbers of different factors that are contributing to, you know, this condition appearing. Mm. Um, so for me, I think it's important to, and also that actually to reflect that actually there isn't a formula to get out of this. I think that it is it's 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 a very challenging situation absolutely i think my take-home message is considering the population that this presentation is most common with mm. i will almost view it as a i think warning sign is a little bit too strong word but almost um a, a, a flashlight to remind people that actually if you start having these symptoms this is showing that you're maybe overdoing certain things maybe you're trying to push yourself too hard or put, being pushed too hard by something else someone else actually it's time to create more space like you said to have more consistency and to slowly step back and give more space to yourself so that actually you can have a consistent output as well so it's the reverse to saying yes to a little more excess it's actually you know not excess is good it's actually that we need to almost draw back a bit and less is more yeah <laughs> brilliant thank Bye. you see you hey see you soon bye-bye <laughs>